In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Well, Jesse, we got to see a full practice today, obviously, uh, this morning, which is Tuesday morning. We got to see a full two hours, two hours plus, and we'll get to all that, but I think uh, where we need to start, as we did (laughs) in our last show, was with your story, and we'll start this one with another of your stories, or more, I should say, a QA. and a You got an opportunity to chat with Saeed Khalif, who is now at Michigan State running the recruiting there, ran Wisconsin's recruiting for several years, and then, I think, caught some people off guard in, in early June, and all of a sudden... He's there one day and he's gone the next, and uh, you caught up with him and were able to discuss why he left and some of the issues that he felt at Wisconsin were holding them back. Yeah, I had an opportunity to talk to him for about 45 minutes, and Saeed's always been very honest. He's refreshing, Um, but when he was at Wisconsin, it was about the work they were doing in the recruiting department and the types of players they were bringing in. And This time he had an awful lot to say about what his experience at Wisconsin was like, and he had... A lot of good things to say about the the players and you know the university, but it was pretty apparent that he had quite a number of frustrations with how things went in the recruiting department. And the, I put this early on, sort of in the introduction, and obviously if you're listening and, and not subscribed, I'm biased, but I, I hope that you do subscribe and, and check out this story. Um, but Saeed said, for as big of a program as it is, the people resources were never committed to it. And I don't know that that's some great surprise, but to hear uh, the guy who's been spearheading the recruiting charge for the last four years to say it was, was sort of eye opening among other things that he said. And he talked about how at the height of, and this is, this is all Saeed's opinion. So I think that's important to acknowledge too. It's, you know, this is an exit interview and I've done a lot of these with different players and coaches, but his perspective was that at the height of their success, the last couple of years, he said the most full-time staffers that he had, were four was four and at Michigan State he's got 12 people and I know that that's a, a big deal to him because when it comes down and in his mind when it comes down to competing for conference championships and trying to get into the college football playoff you're competing against these other programs that have massive recruiting departments uh, that the the athletic department is willing to put that together and, and make that an integral part of the plan and I think that was an area that he felt like Wisconsin fell short um, there's a number of other things that he said but that's just sort of the introduction when I was going to ask you what was the most I don't know I don't know if jarring is the word f- that I should use but just the most the biggest thing that stood out to you that that really kind of hit you in the face like whoa whoa can't believe you said that that does not look good for Wisconsin type of thing. So honestly, I think most of it had to do with what he said about either the assistant coaches or Paul Christ, um, because I asked him, he, he was talking about the, the vision that he had and, and all these challenges. And I said, well, even though you may not have had the resources you wanted, do you feel like the coaching staff and the guys going out on the road representing the program were aligned with your vision? And the first thing he said was, I honestly would say, I think we recruited at a 50% capacity. Now, what he meant by that is that the NCA allows coaches to go on the road a certain number of days. And so I think his comment was more perhaps about the number of days that people were going out there. And I mean, that's just his perspective. You can debate whether they had, you know, success or not. I think that the the proof is in the pudding. The coaches were able to go out and do that. But there was another instance when, uh, you know, he talked about a specific meeting that he had with Paul. And it was a, a, they, from what Saeed said, they continually restructured the the recruiting department. And this was a meeting that he had with Paul. And 
they were getting ready to restructure. And, and Saeed said, this is what he told me, he told Paul. He said, Coach, I appreciate and respect everything you're sharing with me, but everybody that's giving you input does this on occasion. I'm doing this for a living. I'm studying it, and I'm looking at best practices. And I'm talking to colleagues in the industry, and I want that to have some value at some point when we start pressing forward and doing things. And he said that Paul reflected on it and said, you know what? You're right there. Or you make a great point, at least. And so I, no, that's just, Saeed said that he felt like, you know, maybe there were assistants giving their opinion on how things should be done, and and Saeed's vision wasn't weighed in that in that same fashion. Again, this is all Saeed's perspective. But the other thing I'll say is is what he said about just not being arm in arm with Paul in terms of what the vision was. And I think a lot of this comes down to personalities, which he acknowledged as well. Saeed's job, as he said, was to be the mouthpiece and the marketer for the program and really be out in front, saying sort of beating our chest and saying this is what we're about. And, you know, I think anybody who's interacted with Paul or, or watched his interviews, that's that's not what he's about, right? I mean, there's I'm not saying one style is better than the other, but I think there was just sort of a difference in approach in that regard. And, and Saeed said that he never felt like they were arm in arm and, and Paul was saying, let's ride, let's go do this. And Saeed feels like he has that at Michigan State with Mel Tucker. I should acknowledge that he is at Michigan State now. And so there's a part of this that's sort of, you know... It's a rival school, but I don't think that impacted. Like uh, Said, to me, was being completely honest, or at least from his perspective, I, he certainly didn't hold anything back. It's kind of like the Aaron Rodgers and Packers thing. I, I think I texted you that. They're telling he, Aaron Rodgers told his truth. Yes. you know, in that big long press conference, he told his truth. The Packers have another view of what the truth is. Correct. And Saeed Khalif, in this opportunity to chat with you for 45 minutes, told his truth and what he thought was being there. But do you think he was a pro- – uh, some of his issues, like only having four full-time staff and they still had a top 15 class, it's like, you're putting together this class with this. Why do we need to give you even more? I think his vision or his view was – we're trying to get to the very highest level, mm-hmm. and I feel like in order to do that, I need more people because all these other schools have more people. One of the things that he said was um, that when you've got these other programs that have two or three times as many staffers or even more, that it can feel like they're I don't I don't know exactly how he phrased it, but essentially that they were you know, trying harder or putting in, putting in more effort or something like that. And when it comes to this, the continual connection with the, with the recruits. So, yeah, I mean, you could say, okay, he didn't have the resources that he wanted. And yet they just set three record setting classes. What's the problem? I think it's more, well, yeah. And Wisconsin hasn't won a big 10 championship since 2012 and hasn't been in the college football playoff. And if you want to get there, he said, there's, there's a reason why there's a correlation between not just how high the recruiting class ranks, but for the teams that go to the playoff, but the number of staffers they have in their recruiting department. So again, this is all, this is all his perspective, but I'm, I'm just explaining why, what the frustrations were on his end. Again, Wisconsin's done pretty darn well in recruiting the last handful of years. What else? I, I think the, also the frustration would be the fact that Wisconsin does, when you look at the revenues of the top athletic departments in the country, Wisconsin's up there. I believe they were 11th or 10th the last time I saw. Uh, when all this Texas-Oklahoma stuff popped up, it was like Texas and Oklahoma, and then they're gonna, now the SEC is going to have all these you know, different programs that bring in the most revenue. Wisconsin obviously spends a ton of money as well, but apparently not in the places that Saeed Khalif would like them to be at, right? Is that accurate? I mean, I, well, I mean, his job is also that specific area. So, was his issues with Paul Christ, or was it higher up? 
I think it was I think it was higher up. I mean, you know, I I asked if he ever asked for more resources since he was talking so much about it, and he said that every year he did. Um, but every year, I said, "What was the answer?" And he said, "We're working on it. We'll get back to you. I need more time." It was always one thing or another, and so. And, you know, that he said he would go to his supervisor and they would run it up the pole. I mean, he said, I don't have direct access to the AD's offices. So, yeah, I mean, it went, this is not like a a, a beef, and I don't even know if that's a, the right word because, I mean, again, he was also complimentary of Paul for, you know, being a player's coach and his, fi- his fiery nature. But it, it went above him, but also I think he felt like just the, there wasn't an alignment in terms of the vision and, um, you know, just maybe the level of buy-in because another thing that he said, he talked about, I asked him, you know, they hired Jensen Gebhardt, who's, you know, was a full-time staffer for Wisconsin and, and they just brought him into Michigan state. And I asked how that came about. And Saeed said he went to Mel Tucker and said, I, I this guy will make things easier for me. And, and Saeed told me that Tucker said, it's, it's your department, do what you need to do. And this, and Saeed said, that was the first time I have heard that in 10 years. So I was ecstatic. So I think it was it's all things, um, and that's that's sort of where it is. What do you think made Wisconsin? In the, in the article, you talk about how he thought that they were uncomfortable with what he was doing. What, or or I should say, yeah, not not necessarily what they were doing, but putting them in an uncomfortable position to exceed where they had been at. Right, like he said, there was a level of complacency, a level of comfort with what was being done, and the championship still eluded them. So we've got to get uncomfortable to go to the spaces we want to get at. What is he referring there? Well, I, I asked him, my very next question was, when you say uncomfortable, do you mean how the program had operated before in terms of speaking up more? Because, again, he had said multiple times, that, you know, he's the mouthpiece. He's the, he's the first line of communication with a lot of these recruits. And he said, yes. They, that, I mean, he said you can't pay lip service and say that recruiting is the lifeblood of your program if you don't commit the resources to it or the time and the energy to it and, and that it can't just be words. And then he went on to talk about, what I said before about you, you look at the programs that have won championships are the ones that are continually in the college football playoff. And you look at the recruiting part departments. Um, then you look at the teams that aren't in there and you look at their recruiting departments. And and so I think, yeah, I think it, it had to do with a willingness to, to speak up and speak out. And also, you know, he mentioned this early on and I, I came back to it, but he, he was talking about just wanting to be in every recruiting battle. And I don't know how realistic that is. I mean, that, that, but, but just, he came back to, he referenced without referencing Nolan Rucci, because what he said was, you know, there's certain five-star guys where if we didn't already have that connection, would we have gone after them? And he said, well, I would until I was told no, but I think there was a, you know, at Wisconsin, it, it, reaction was like, ah, well, you know, he's already got all this, like, let's not pursue that. And I thought that was an interesting point as well. Why in the world would a five-star kid from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania with a dad who went to Penn State and family that went to Penn State consider Wisconsin if his brother wasn't here? It's a yes. It's a it's a very valid point. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm just like I, I understand what he's saying. Yeah. Like you got you have to go after kids, and if they don't like you, they don't like you, and they don't show any love for you. Okay, but you have to at least. I assume that's what he's saying. You have to at least put the effort in to go after some of these guys, even though. You know, in your mind, you know you're probably not going to get them. And maybe that, but Wisconsin, because of the resources they put in, only have the ability to go after certain people that they know will reciprocate their affection, I guess. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's, it's also important to note that just they've done a pretty darn good job in 
the way they've developed players and the what they've achieved on the field. So you know, I I don't want this to sound like Wisconsin is an as an absolute failure in recruiting or something like that. I mean, just I, I think some of this can read like they're just they're not doing a great job or something like that. I mean, they are doing a good job. They're just they're doing what works best for them. And and, and again, his frustration was like, you know, why don't why don't they do more to get on the level of some of these other programs? But I mean, he talked about that it's in the in terms of getting into every battle that he felt like it's a belief system and and um, that's sort of where he was coming from. Why do you think Wisconsin never, as he said, fully embraced his way? You know, I don't. I think it's personality. Right. I mean, if it comes from if if he felt like he wasn't aligned with the head coach or the assistants were had a a different perspective. I mean, I feel like to me that comes down to a difference of personalities and which I which I touched on before. Um, That's that's got to be the the number one thing, because it but again, like he said, he wasn't he wasn't doing anything illegal or, or anything unseemly. It was just sort of being up front and being out there a little bit more. Um, and that's that seems to be the disconnect a bit. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does. He also took issue with COVID and what, what happened when the furloughs came and it was his department that was hit, even though they were a rather small department to begin with. Yeah, and his big... I mean, everyone's been affected, obviously. There are people who've lost jobs. No one, so. no one wants to hear your complaints about being no. left, you know, your job being cut or being furloughed. or No one wants to hear those complaints. But here he is anyways, complaining about it. Right. He said He said that his... We're, his, we're the only one doing anything. Well, yeah. I mean, his, his complaint was that they were the first department to get cut, and they were the only activity that was allowed to go on. He said you... You couldn't play games, you couldn't do anything, couldn't practice, but we were recruiting, we're doing virtual tours, and we were the hardest hit department. And I said, what, when you say hardest hit, did they eliminate staff? And he said, yeah, cut them, eliminated, furloughed, and it was a challenge. So, But again, it's it's been a challenge for everybody. I think it's just sort of maybe a little bit of dumping some further frustrations and just all the things that he felt like were problematic. I wonder, uh, what kind of role do you think Ted Gilmore had? In, uh, they were They were friends, they had a good relationship. He had to have known that there was Saeed was probably upset or, or not satisfied with what was going on, and probably came calling. I, I, I don't know that. I'm just seeing, he clearly obviously has a relationship with Ted Gilmore, who left Wisconsin last year to be their tight end coach there at Michigan State. So it's, it's, I feel like he probably played a pretty big role in this. I think he certainly did. My very first question to Saeed was what made you decide to go to Michigan State? And the second sentence he said was that Ted Gilmore and I were very close. And he said we were, we worked together really closely over at Wisconsin in recruiting. He had always been a champion for me for what he felt like I was doing for the program. And when there was an opening at Michigan State for this director of player personnel, Ted Gilmore is the one who mentioned his name. So that's sort of how the, the ball got rolling. And I think clearly that relationship played a part in Saeed being at Michigan State now. Yeah, no, it, it's a very, very interesting situation for Wisconsin because, you know, they have been accused, not accused, they have been, people have uh, believed in the past that assistant coaches have left for pay. This starts, goes all the way back to Brett Bielema and what he said he left for, even though I think that there were significant, significant other reasons why he left, and I've never bought the idea that he couldn't keep assistants uh, because if you go back and look at it, he, it just it wasn't realistic you know obviously he even brought that up when we were at Big Ten Media Days again you know and talking Brett Beal I'm saying talked about it for whatever reason and 
that just hasn't been the case. But here, I mean, you lost Ted Gilmore to a, a spot that obviously was going to pay him more money. You've lost other guys to jobs that are probably lateral, if not moves downward in the last you know two years. Gilmore, Settle, John Settle going to Kentucky. And I mean, he, I guess he's co special teams coordinator, whatever the hell that is forth. And then Inoki Brechterfield going to Vanderbilt. We don't know the salary, at least on uh, Inoki, but, you know, it's guys that are had been here for a long time and Wisconsin staff had not had a huge turnover. And now you've had pretty significant turnover in the last few years here. I mean, I always say I never expect assistants to, to stay forever. There's a certain point where they're going to want to move on and do something different. But I think they they it's been more turnover in the last year or two than certainly we saw the first several years under Paul Christ. Everyone's got their own reason, you know. At least John Settle told me, and and who who knows? I mean, I, I he's another straight shooter as far as I as as far as I know from all of our conversations. But that opportunity to do something beyond being a running backs coach was very important to him apparently, and he said that he knew even though he's co special teams. Coordinator, coach special teams here. Yeah, but like he, he was involved in special teams here. All the coaches are involved in special teams here. Not all of them, but a, a majority of them are involved. He just said he 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 told me that it was never going to be possible, like sort of being the, the the top guy here, whether it's a special teams coordinator or being in charge of the run game, which Joe Rudolph had that role. Um, and so he he made the move, but hey, yeah, everyone's got their own reasons. But yeah. I mean, the, the turnover the last year or two, it's 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 much different from what we've seen. I think it's also worth noting uh, before we move on uh, that Michigan State is throwing money at their problems, a significant amount of money at their problems. They've had horrible, horrible PR in the last few years. You know, we everyone. I don't need to de- dive into it, but they've thrown a ton of money all over the place to try and uh, fix some of those issues by winning. And uh, we'll see if it ends up working, but it has uh, taken something from Wisconsin in back-to-back years now. So we'll see. Either way, if you haven't read it, go ahead and uh, read it at The Athletic. Don't uh, settle for little blurbs on Twitter. Uh, get it all at The Athletic. And today is not what you pay for. You pay for all of Jesse's coverage, but today's certainly a worthwhile read. Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BETUS.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. BETUS for 125% bonuses with the promo code THEZONE125. You bet, you win, you get paid. BETUS.com. Moving on to what we saw at practice today, it was uh, our first action because we got to see practice last Friday. We saw half an hour. We saw you, you saw kicking, right? Like that's essentially what we saw. Um, we were more talking about what we uh, learned on Thursday during media day, but today we actually got to see practice and see eleven on eleven and see seven on seven. Your initial big thought in terms of like what stood out to you in that roughly you know a little bit more than two hours of practice there's a lot of different things but i think the position that was most intriguing coming into camp which we've talked about is the running back group and to me i think both of us it seems pretty clear from what we saw that there is a top two right now that would be jalen berger and ches malusi and i can't say i'm surprised that would have been the, the top two that i would have thought coming in but they got the bulk of the the top group carries a, a lot of times it would be jalen getting the first carry, first couple carries, and then Chez got a lot of work as well. I think he's 
you know, it's it's practice. They just put on the pads, but I think he's got a skill set that's going to be very good for Wisconsin. He can do a lot of different things. His pad, he got his pad level low. I mean, he was powering through the hole, and that stood out. Yeah, great second reaction play on uh, Graham. Didn't see anything yes. down right, so Graham rolls out to his left. And I think it was Scott Nelson that was guarding Chez, and I think Scott maybe got a little flat-footed, and, and Chez just all of a sudden burst up the sideline on a little second reaction, and Graham hit him for a nice nice gain. So, yeah, he's he's got that ability that you definitely are going to need. I think it's going to be tough. It's I just imagine it being really tough for the rest of these running backs to, to find a, a bigger role simply because of the number of carries available. Like, Isaac Arendo got... I would say the third most yep. opportunities, but then you look and Brady Shipper, I mean, Julius Davis he would come in for for one play, and we, which, by the way, very first time we've ever seen him take a practice carry, uh, as we've as we've uh, mentioned before. So I mean, it's good, it's good to see that these guys are healthy. We actually marked the time, yeah, uh, eight. <laughs> 10, 2021, 9.39 a.m. We got to see our first Julius Davis practice carry. But even, and even Braylon Allen, who I think probably should mention that he was limited today, or at least was listed as limited, limited. he went through all the drills, so I don't know how limited he was, but he had his, his left ankle taped up, so and he, he looked to be favoring a little bit, but he still went through stuff, caught a touchdown pass, but uh, in 7-on-7 in seven seven from Chase Wolf, who we'll get to, who I thought had a, a really, really good day. But yeah, the running backs... Right now, it's the top two. It's probably Garendo and Brady Shipper, and then it's probably everybody else. Yeah, I think that I think that's accurate. And and again, I don't even know how many carries there will be for the number three. I don't. You know, last year they went into the season with we're going to have a top three, and um, um, it didn't last beyond the, the first game. And even then, Isaac Garendo as the third guy kind of didn't get most of the carries. I think until a, a little later. Um, you mean in the game later? Yeah, in the game? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like I, I just see, I just see those two guys right now separating themselves very early. They definitely do, and and they, they both look good. Like they both, I don't know, it's one practice, right? And it's like it's, it's a handful of plays, and they they were in pads, so there there's at least that. But it wasn't like it was a full on tackle thing. And but I, I did think both Chez and and Jalen looked the part. I really do like the way that Chess looks, though. Yeah. I, I do think that he could end up being the guy. I not, do, too. Not, not the the guy, but, like, perhaps the starter. Uh, perhaps they a lot. it's 50-50 or even maybe 60-40 in terms of him getting more reps. It just, it just One practice, right? If, you were, if I was going by today's practice, I would say Chase Wolf is your starting quarterback. <laughs> but <laughs> Easy, I'm not, Zach. But I'm not doing that, right? Like, I'm not going to do that because we know, we know who Graham is. We know what his ability is. But Chase Wolf had a, had a really, really good day. That's just what it is. So, but so I don't want to overreact to Chez having a looking really good today. Just one practice. But that being said, Chase Wolf looked pretty darn good today. Uh, I thought he had a couple of big time throws, uh, specifically uh, in the team drills, but even in seven on seven in the skeleton skelly drills. Like that's not real football because you don't have anybody come rushing down on you. But he hit, I think he had at least four touchdowns in the red zone uh, skelly period, including ones to Braylon Allen, and a really nice throw to Jalen Franklin, who I think a lot of people are, would hope to be hearing from here in practice, and we got to see. And he, he was very excited. I think that may have been one of his first, his first touchdowns in practice. But Chase, I thought, had a really good day. Yeah, he got some reps with the first-team offense. I think... We should start by saying Graham got almost all of the first team reps, so he he is still the guy. No, no reason to panic if you're listening. That Zach's saying if he 
his takeaway from one practice is that Chase is, Chase is the number one guy. But yeah, I mean, it's it's all the stuff that we've seen from Chase before. The the escapability out of the pocket and sometimes it's tough to know well would he really would he have been sacked but the play goes on but he i mean he had one where he got outside the pocket and he got beyond the line of scrimmage and juked a guy and and made a nice gain and we know he can scramble and drop the sidearm throws but i think it's more the consistency and the accuracy that you're looking for and the decision making which we talk about all the time with him that he made eight throws last season he threw two picks yeah not a good ratio right but Paul Paul Christ was asked about Chase after practice and talked about how he feels like Chase is at a a little bit different level now. And and then Paul is working much closer with the quarterbacks now this season. But just when they would turn on the film and watch the cutups, you know, Chase knew what was coming. Yeah, I know, I know why this happened. And and so there's been a growth and maturity there. And Paul even said a lot of the talks to this point has been about Graham, but Chase is just as hungry as Graham and putting in just as much time. I don't know what kind of role ultimately he w- he will have, but they're obviously they've feel like they've got a capable backup because those are the two guys that are getting almost all the snaps. There was an occasional Danny Vandenboom and then the very last drive with young guys. We got our first Deacon Hill sighting. And it was it was a bullet. Oh yeah. It Closed was, on a completion. Yeah, it was a bullet to the outside. Really, really good play. So what do you think about what did you think about Graham today? Like there were it, it you know it's it's difficult to judge. There were some I you know, the defense especially in team drills, I thought had a significant advantage on the offense um overall. But, you know, Graham had a few throws here and there, and I think one of his last throws was a bullet to the outside bullet to the outside between two guys. It was a really, really great play. I think it was to Chimray DK on and out. Was it? Am I wrong? Uh, he, that was to Devin Chandler Chad, down Chandler. the left You're side. Right. Yep. He, it was a, he perfectly lofted it over. Max Lofi was out there in coverage. To me, yeah, that was Graham's best pass of the day. And it might have been his last I think it might have been, was it one of his last passes of the day, too? Yeah, that was his last pass of the day. Yep. Yeah, so... And, and he also, you know, and there weren't a ton of opportunities to go down the field. The one time he did go down the field, uh, the ball hung up a little bit, but he got bailed out. Not even bailed out, but he got he got a great play from um, Ray DK. Probably the highlight of the day, I think. Yeah. Uh, going up over Caesar Williams and Samar Melvin to rip a ball away just on the sideline and keep his feet in. And the refs were there. The refs were there, and it looked like they called a, uh, complete, uh, the completed catch. So it was one day, tomorrow. He could just rip it up, and, and we'll be talking about that. But it, it it was kind of an uneven day, I thought. Yeah, I would agree. That, to me, was the highlight of the day, the, the completion to Chim Ray. And it wasn't – I mean, it got there. I don't. It wasn't you know perfectly delivered, but it was also between two defenders. But Chim Ray made that play happen. It was uh, under center, and Graham had a little play action and just threw it down the right sideline, and it was a 35-yard completion. It was one of those that made you go, wow, I can't believe he actually caught that. But we've seen that from Chim Ray before. But for the most part, yeah, there weren't – there weren't very many big plays. Again, not a lot of shots taken, and right now there's a lot of, like, let's get our personnel together. Let's, like, figure out what we're doing at this point. But no reason to panic. I mean, <laughs> no, we, <laughs> no, 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 not now whatsoever. Yeah, and, and again, we're, I think it's important to note, so we're going to have an opportunity to see four practices this week in their entirety and then four practices next week in their entirety. So this is the first fully open practice that we saw, and there's going to be seven more, and we'll be able to form much better opinions uh, in two weeks. Yeah, and we'll be doing, again, as for anybody that didn't hear it before, we're going to be doing two shows a week throughout the entire season, and that includes fall camp. So we'll have we'll be... You know, see him practice at, uh, on a Wednesday, Friday, and, and be able to do a show right after that, get and get those practices, and have a little bit more basis for maybe our opinions, right? Yeah. So I also wanted to talk about the offensive line because it was uh, with Tyler Beach still out, Logan Brown was in at left tackle, and it was 
Josh Seltzer in at left guard. We have heard we had heard that there was going to be a competition between Cormac Sampson and Josh Seltzer at left guard, um, but it was almost uh, as far as I could tell, it was all Josh Seltzer with the first group, and then Logan Brown as well. And I think Logan's taken a good step. Um, I know Paul was asked about that afterwards, but I, I do, and it's, you could see it in some of the one-on-one pass rushing drills that I thought, you know, at times, especially even in the spring, but even going back to his freshman year, like it was just it was too much, and uh, it doesn't look like it's too much anymore. He looks ready to roll to me, and I, I don't think if Tyler Beach is healthy that he's gonna, you know, no. take his spot. But that's a pretty darn good one-two punch there at left tackle, and somebody that is is going to get his turn, and and I, I think we'll get a, a probably a fair number of snaps this season. I don't know how many he can take away from Beach, but right now, and Paul said it, I asked him about Logan after practice that this is a real window of opportunity for Logan to take advantage because he is taking all the reps with with Tyler out, and Tyler had a walking boot on Friday, didn't have one on today. But still, we ha- we haven't seen him in practice. Yeah, the, people have been waiting for this from Logan for so long, and you know, part of it is probably unfair because he's not the one who puts the five star tag on himself, and he doesn't really he doesn't want any of this attention. But yeah. that's what comes with it. Uh, the first five star signee in twelve years since Josh Oglesby, and and I think it is starting to come together for him. Um, but other than that, not no no surprises really on, on at least with the first team. I think the second team was a little more interesting. Yeah. To, uh... Tanner Bordellini, who played center last year, was the second team left tackle, um, and then it was Trey Wedig at, at right tackle. And I think the other the, the other positions were kind of as we expected, right? Joe Tipman at center, and Cormac Sampson at left guard, and Michael Furtney at right guard. So I think the the only surprise there, at least to me, maybe you have something different, is Bordellini being at left tackle. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know. Joe Rudolph said in media day that Joe Tippman was would start out at center. He could be center or guard. Last year he was listed as a backup guard. But if you're going to put, if you think he's your second best center, and you think Tanner Bordellini is in your top nine, which Rudolph clearly did, then you got to find another spot for him. So that's what Rudolph does. But they got they got a a number of pretty talented guys. But the, that first five or six or seven, I think, has a chance to be pretty pretty good this year. Is that the most talented uh, third offensive line in the country? Well, you have Riley Malman and Nolan Rucci, which is, yeah, that's that's got to be up there, I have to imagine. Yeah, um, we did get, yeah, so Nolan did get some snaps with the with the third team. There weren't a ton of reps to go around there, and um, but he's he's one of the true freshmen that's here that, that arrived in the fall. Um, another guy that arrived in the fall, as we go to the other side of the ball, I, you know, is, is Daryl Peterson. And it's a guy that I didn't necessarily think we... we like we knew how good of a player he was, he, the sacks that he wrote, racked up just insane. But with all those bodies at outside linebacker, you didn't think there there was going to be whether it was T.J. Bowlers or anybody else, Caden Johnson or anybody else. You didn't, you just didn't think it was going to happen because you got Noah Burks, you got Nick Herbig, Spencer Lytle, Isaiah Green, May, C.J. Getz, and uh, Aaron Witt, all guys that played at times last year. So you didn't think that there was going to be a possibility, but. You know, and obviously injuries are playing a role here with CJ Getz kind of be limited today, and and uh, Aaron Witt not practicing at all. But Peterson got some work with the uh, with Nick Herbig on the other side, and I think I mean they were rotating the first and second units, so I couldn't really tell. I would probably call it the second unit, but yeah, I mean he looked okay. Came stoned, stoned Jack Nelson on a, on a pull. Like Nelson was pulling a left, and he just stoned him right at the point of attack. It was a great, great play. Had a couple good rushes and one-on-one. So I, that was a bit of a surprise. Peterson is the guy defensively, especially young guy, freshman, who we haven't had a chance to see that stood out most to me, that he got a majority of the two reps. And I didn't see T.J. Bowlers until the end with the young guys. Same um, with Kate Johnson. 
Yeah. And so, and, and you're right. This, this does have to do with the fact that Aaron Witt not participating in CJ Getz was limited. Didn't, didn't participate in any of those 11 on 11 live drills. We saw him in, in some other stuff later, but yeah, he, he was an absolute sack machine in high school, played defensive end. I believe he had 38 and a half sacks his last two seasons, <laughs> had a school record 21 as a junior and then 17 and a half as a senior. Just absolutely ridiculous. Um, a little bit undersized, right? Yeah, but six one. Yeah, he really he, to me that we love the word flashed right in fall camp. But he was getting a lot of the twos. It was him and Spencer Lytle. Saw some Isaiah Green May in that group, so maybe he'll get his shot as well. Awful lot of talent at outside linebacker. But the fact that he, the fact that Bobby April has identified him at least at this point to consistently put him in the twos, whether he'll be there in the end or not, says a lot about where he's at. Keanu Benton was not lying. No, he was not. He was with the first group in the nickel. Yep. But that was even, you know, that was not unexpected. But the first play of team drills slices through and, and almost almost gets to Jalen Berger before he gets the ball and just wraps him up. It was the first play. It was it was like, okay, yeah. okay, Keanu. All right. Yep. Yep. That's the type of guy that he can be. That's the type of talent that he has. Yeah. Big time difference maker, which is why he needs to be on the field more. And I think we're going to see a lot of that is, is Benton and Henningsen on the field because of how often they've got the five defensive backs on there. And it makes a lot of sense. So he's clearly taking to that role very early. He was, even in practice today, multiple occasions where he was stuffing it right there at the line of scrimmage or behind. Yeah, there wasn't much going up the middle today for Wisconsin. And that, I think, is going to be the case for a lot of teams this year. With him and Henningsen, to go along with those two, you know, your two inside linebackers that have played so much and, and been so good... I think it's going to be really, really difficult to run against uh, up the middle against Wisconsin, you know, and, and even on the outside, you know, Noah Burks, a little bit more of a, a, a run stopper than perhaps the, the getting after the passer, even though I think that can be something that he has a chance. He, I think he can be good at that, but their front seven has a chance to be as good as any front seven they've had since, what, 2017? Yeah, I mean, all four starters back at linebacker. It, the big questions were, well, what, what's your defensive line look like? But Benton and Henningsen is a pretty darn good place yep. to start. And then, you know, when they've got three guys in the line, Isaiah Mullins was that third guy at this point. And I think the rest is it's trying to figure out what's the rest. We right. saw some Rodas Johnson. We saw some James Thompson Jr. But they weren't with the top group. So I don't know how many snaps they're going to get. They're, it, that's where they're at right now. Is we, It's like we know who the top guys are, but we have to build enough depth. I thought there were a couple of really impressive plays from the secondary, a couple of guys just breaking on balls. First, first pass from Graham was a was a pass to Jake Ferguson on a little stop, and Colin Wilder jumped it. And if it wasn't for the pass being, uh, you know, up high, he probably picks it off and he's back. He's taking it back for a touchdown. Also saw pass breakups from Preston Zachman. Saw one from Dante Burton right on Chimray DK, just pushing him right in the back, just the ball arrived. Like there were a bunch of plays. Almond Williams even got got his hands on one. Like. They were getting their hands on balls. They didn't. They didn't intercepted any of them. Um, they could have. They should have. Probably had an interception or two. They got their hands on some of them that probably should have been picks. But yeah, I thought it was a, a good first day for them too, or a good. I shouldn't say first day. Good fifth day, I guess. But a, a good first day in terms of what we got to see. Yeah, I think Scott Nelson had one that should have been a pick. I don't know if you yeah. mentioned that one as well. Yeah. Well, that mm-hmm. one was like right in his hands. But right. I mean, yeah, the most the most interesting thing to me is just the the combinations, and it's like every play. It's it's almost your it's head impossible. is spinning because yeah. it's hard to keep track. Well, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't really mean anything. It's like literally every play, they're throwing in new guys in the secondary, probably more so than than the front seven, especially because if there's five DBs on the field and three corners, and uh, there's a lot happening. I think one one. How, 
may not be a major point, but Max Lofi, it looked like at least early was, I think working with the safeties. Um, and he got, I saw him get a rep in the, in the nickel. Um, you know, the, the, the number of corners to safeties they have, it's way more corners. So I feel like they, it makes sense if they wind up putting someone over there, but just, it was Cesar Williams and Fayon Hicks. We knew they were going to be the top two and a bunch of different guys playing in the slot. Yeah, it was interesting. Dante Burton was the one that got the, like, the first team drills. Right. Dante Burton was the third corner. And it was, you know, Fayon was in the slot. Dante was on the outside. But, like, those are the, that's a guy that I don't think people were like, oh, okay, can't wait to see what Dante Burton's going to do. They just have so many different names you can throw out there. Yeah. And I don't know if Jim Leonard ever is just going to settle on three. No. Or I Hank Poteet or however that conversations right. can go but there's so many options because i mean dean ingram's uh samar melvin got a lot of run too and i mean he was he was dealing with the injuries in the spring alex smith those three deron harrell was out so we didn't we didn't see him but that's a guy who played a lot towards the end of last season and there's at least yeah i've said before there's at least six or seven corners that they could they could put out there right now in the, in the opener and be fine yeah uh, one position we forgot to kind of talk about was the wide receivers, specifically the young guys. Mm-hmm. It kind of caught me off guard, some of the explosiveness from both of them, both Skylar Bell and Marcus Allen. Kind of like, for bigger guys, can get up and go, man. Like, it was uh, on, it was just on air, but Skylar Bell jumped out to me, had a really good catch in a team drill, and then Marcus Allen kind of threw like a wide receiver screen and took off. It was a really nice play, and before the play, it kind of looked like he doesn't he didn't know exactly where he was supposed to be, but that's the type of stuff you're going to get with true freshman. We heard from Graham Martz. He thinks that both of them has, have a chance to play at some point. Now, again, just like at outside linebacker, there's just so many bodies in front of him, and the same thing at, at running back. Perhaps it might be a little bit difficult, but they both uh, they look the part. I th- yeah, I think, it, I think it'll be tough to crack the, the playing rotation, but Skylar Bell is one that stood out to me because I know I've talked a lot about Marcus Allen because of all of his accomplishments, especially his senior year. Well, Skylar Bell didn't even have a chance to play his senior year. It was canceled. So, I mean, he hadn't even played football, really, since his junior year. It's been a couple of years. He had, I thought he had one of the better plays offensively. You talked about it. He had a really tough catch in traffic. It was Chase Wolf threw a pass down the right sideline. Um, and he made a couple of plays like that. So, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be a difference maker this year. But another thing is some, some of these young guys – they're gonna, you're going to see them on special teams in, in some capacity, and that's sort of how they build up and get some confidence and wind up playing down the road. But to me, I think it's it's obviously it's a very clear top three with the wide receivers with Davis Pryor, Chimray DK, and then whoever your fourth is, whether it's Jack Dunn or Devin Chandler or A.J. Abbott. I, I think I think Devin Chandler is in position to just one of those guys that they got to get on the field in some way, and he's going to be doing that as a returner. But can they can they sneak him in there for a handful of plays on offense? It, it just I feel like he can be that guy. Jack Dunn's going to play. You're probably right. One special teams thing we got to see the kickers again, right? I, maybe you have the stats from Friday, right? Do you have them from Friday? Yeah, All I right. mean we didn't see a lot, so. <laughs> All right, so so today we actually had the, the officials to help out, right? Jack Van Dyke, three for four, including a 51 yarder. He also missed from 29, and Colin Lars went 2-for-2 two two from 34 and from 40. I think it's telling that since spring practice, Jack Van Dyke has been with the ones. Like, you can hear Chris Herring yell out when the team is going to go out there, ones, it's Jack Van Dyke, twos, it's Colin Lars, and Jack's getting twice the reps. And missing the 29-yarder, it's just like, come on, man. Yep, and that's, you know, that's why it's an ongoing competition. But then he comes back, and he hits a 41-yarder, and he hits a 51-yarder, and both of them were fairly low, but... <laughs> but 
So did, he I got him there. Pretty sure someone said they don't think they would have made it over the line of scrimmage if they were actually going after it. I don't know if it, it would have been blocked or not. It's hard to tell. I mean, I I think it's going to wind up being Van Dyke. It just sort of feels that way. But it's the matter of consistency, you know. If you're going to hit a 51-yarder, that's great. But if you're not going to make a 29-yarder, and again, you know, we're making a lot about four kicks that we saw, but that's that's all they do. that's all we see in practice. So, yeah, I think it's going to continue. But I imagine Van Dyke pulling ahead, at least at this point, based on just what we've seen and, and because he's consistently been the guy with the ones. Yeah. Coach's poll was released today, Jesse. What do you think Wisconsin was at? 13. 15. Oof. What do you think Notre Dame was at? Nine. Seven. Ah, I was going to say seven. Always go with your first instinct. <laughs> uh, yes, the always important coaches poll that doesn't have any relevance whatsoever anymore. I don't even know why they still do it. I don't even... The, coach, the head coaches don't even... <laughs> Not all of them even like. No, they have somebody else doing it. They had the inter- yes. It's it's kind of like the depth chart that gets put together for uh, for us, right? Do you think the coaches are doing that? Do you think Paul Chris sitting down and yes, and, and, I do. And right knows down, how important it is to the media. Right, like, come on, no, the, the coaches have zero time and don't get an opportunity to watch teams outside of their conference for the most part. They have no idea like what's going on. It's just something to talk parts. about, though, Zach. I, I don't disagree. We'll wait for the AP poll to come out, the, the very important AP poll that uh, certainly will be very important to everyone's season. I don't know. We'll see. So obviously we got to see one practice. We'll get to be able to see practice uh, on Wednesday and on Friday, and then we'll be back to do another show. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. All right, Jesse. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.